0: How was your day today? Yeah, what'd you do? Tell me about it. I napped. You napped, my man. That's a guy after my own heart right there. Hey, can we just give a, uh, just some honor and praise to naps? You know what I'm saying? I love napping. Man. That's one of, God's, one of God's good gifts right there. Who else? Who played in the ping pong tournament? Anybody? Yeah? Play some basketball? I saw you guys playing basketball. Anyone play highlight today? No? Gogaball? Rockwall? It was my my absolute favorite part of the day was watching your counselors do belly flops. Man! Never gets old. It's good. You did good. I'll never ever forget it. Uh, Hey, we're going to continue our march through the book of Daniel. You guys ready to see what happens next? Yeah? So just to recap a little bit just to recap a little bit for you where we've been. The first talk we had was last night. And what we talked about was how Daniel and his friends now live in exile. They were taken from their homeland, marched up through Saudi Arabia into what is modern-day Iraq, into an ancient community known as Babylon. And Babylon was in stark contrast to what they were used to. Babylon was the complete and polar opposite of what would have been normal, comfortable, even religiously, Babylon pushed all of their boundaries and forced them to choose between remaining faithful to God or bending the knee to this new king and this new set of gods that they worshiped. And last night we talked about how that's not unlike the culture that we live in today and the culture that we have lived in for thousands of years. That life is not the way that God had originally intended. That something is broken. But that doesn't absolve our need to be faithful to God because like we talked about this morning, God is holy, holy, holy. God is good. There is no one like God. God is faithful and God is deserving of our love, our faithfulness, and our obedience as a result of his goodness and his character. And so those two things are now going to be on display in what we're going to read through this evening, okay? And so let me just kind of do like a flyby of chapter 2 in Daniel and let you know a couple cool things that have happened. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, as a result of him doing a really good job at his job as a slave in Babylon, gets a promotion. And he's now like the VP in Babylon, And in chapter 2, if you were to read it, starting in verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar has like a nightmare, like he's freaking out. And so he calls in his magicians, he calls in like his wizards, he calls in all these people, his sorcerers, he calls in people to help him interpret this dream, and none of them can do it. But because of Daniel's faithfulness, in chapter 1, like we read this morning, God gave Daniel this gift, the ability to interpret dreams. And so Daniel literally transcribes and translates this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has had, and in doing so, puts the faithfulness of God on display for an entire kingdom that does not yet believe in his God. Chapter 2 is incredible. Chapter 2 illustrates for us that your faithfulness can make a difference in the places that you live. Your faithfulness can make a difference at your school. Your faithfulness can make a difference at your home. Your faithfulness can make a difference among your friends. Because here's one of the big themes that we're going to unpack tonight. When life gets hard, the fight or flight system in our brains, literally the way that it's chemically wired, makes us either want to run and hide or do what we know is right. Running and hiding is always the easy choice. And the second you choose to run and hide, it becomes easier and easier and easier every time. Doing what is right is the more difficult choice. And the more often in our lives that we choose to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, the more often we have the ability to say yes to that as opposed to doing what we know is wrong. Right? Like we don't learn obedience by accident. You don't become incredible at a sport by accident. You don't become incredibly intelligent or a good reader just by waking up one day and willing it. The same thing is true in your relationships with God. In our relationships with God, things like prayer, Things like Bible study. Things like being a part of a community. That's why church is so important for you to go to and to participate in. Not just to sit there and and say hi or whatever, but to go there and to be an active participant in what is happening. It's so important because what that little act of obedience does is over time it stacks up and allows you to move that way when life gets difficult. That's what I want to talk to you guys about tonight. Okay, Daniel chapter 3. It's a long chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing for you, okay? You ready? All right, no one's ready. Let me pray. We'll just close it up tonight. We'll just be done. You guys, are you ready? It's funny. I'm going to get you excited to sit there and listen, okay? Are you ready? Now we're talking. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, precepts, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provisional officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, uh, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Peoples of all nations, of every language, This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. So, So what we have happening here is Daniel... And his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are given their first opportunity to remain faithful or to bend the knee. It's their their first opportunity in front of everybody. They had a smaller opportunity when it came to dietary restrictions. And in hindsight, right, like choosing the food you want to eat seems like a way smaller act of obedience than not choosing to bow down and worship an idol when the whole country's going to do it. I would argue that their faithfulness in the little allows them to be faithful in the big. It says in verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, or their lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, It is true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He off- He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and outer clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening to the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be burned to rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That was a lot. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight with such an iconic and epic passage in the Old Testament. What would you have to say to us this evening, Lord? What would you have to say to a group of middle school students who are just on the precipice of life, wrestling with making their faith their own for the very first time? What would you have to say to a group of counselors, many of them college students, some of them business owners, parents, people who took a week of vacation to be here? What would you have to say to those youth pastors and youth directors that are here who have dedicated their lives to seeing these students walk closer with you? God, for all of us in the room, would you refresh us with your word tonight? We love you so much. Amen. Alright, so this was quite the epic narrative. And I I, I purposefully wanted to read the whole thing to you in one chunk. Because what we see happening here, it happens in three parts. In verses 1 through 7 in Daniel chapter 3, we see a law go out that anyone who doesn't worship this idol, this graven image, will be thrown into a fire. Now I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been. Which of the Ten Commandments would them bowing down to this idol have broken? Which of those Ten Commandments would this have gone against them? Just t- tell me. Okay, maybe, don't, maybe not all at once. Uh, right here. Sorry, did you not? That's okay, no pressure. Right here. Do not put any God or idol before me. Before me, good. What's your name? Justin. Dude, you're always up here helping me out, man. I want you to come teach this for me sometime. Yeah, have no other gods before me. Is there another one? Yeah? Don't murder. That could be one that Nebuchadnezzar broke. It's okay. The point is, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew that worshiping this statue would have gone the very gone against the very premise of the faith that they declared. And if you look at verses 7 through 17, we see that the king is ticked off. He is angry to his core that these three gentlemen did not listen. And so he did what most people who wield power do. He threatened to kill them. But he didn't just threaten to kill them. He threatened to kill them in a horrifying way. In fact, the way the text reads to us is that he heated up the fire so hot that the soldiers who carried them into the fire... Died in the process. And then in the last about six or seven verses, we see something miraculous happen. We see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that there's a fourth person in the fire. Lo and behold, this is is like a Christophany. This is like, like an image of Jesus in the Old Testament. He says the fourth person in the fire looks to be like the son of the gods. Who's that fourth person? Who could that be? Many scholars believe it was Christ himself, if not an angel, representing God's presence during a time of trial. And then at the end of the chapter, we see something epic happen. We see that through their faithfulness, through them going through their trial well, the glory of God is put on display. And an entire nation is now told not to defame, not to slander, the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve. Lots to unpack there. There's one piece to this that stands out to me the most. There's one piece to this that I want to highlight for you tonight. And it's that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kindly told the king, we will not honor what you've asked of us. Let's look back at verse 17. He says, even if... We are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Look at verse 18 though. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. The resolve, the faithfulness of these young men causes them to look into the face of their oppressor and say, I know my God is with me. Friend, did you know that no matter what it is you go through in this life, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are never alone. It doesn't matter on the best of days. It doesn't matter on the worst of days. It doesn't matter on the happiest of days. It doesn't matter on the saddest of days. It doesn't matter in a moment when you're around 100 people or 300 people, like we are this week, worshiping and serving God, or you're feeling desperately lonely, just desiring another person to walk through life with you, the promise of God in Scripture is that you're never alone if you're found in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are never alone. I wish I had learned that at your age. That's something i had always struggled with well into my adulthood. I struggled with feelings of loneliness. In fact, I remember in seventh grade, I went to a camp just like this. In fact, it's like 20 minutes up the road. I went to camp, and like I'd shared, it was kind of weird for my parents to send me to camp because church wasn't really a thing. I think that was just like, we can pay you money to take him for a weekend, please. And so I was like sent to this camp. And some of you won't know who this is, but oddly enough, Lee Strobel's son was like my roommate at camp. It was really funny. I highly doubt he remembers that, but I remember him. Um... There's like two youth pastors that are like, cool. It's always good, by the way, in a camp setting to share stories that two people know. Uh, That goes far. But while we're at this camp, I had eyes for this girl that was there. And I think, I think, I think what you guys would call it is I had the riz. Because... because by the time I went home from camp, I had a girlfriend. Now, before you guys get too excited, let me tell you a couple things. One, this story I'm about to tell you does not end well, okay? Two, two, you know what I remember from camp? Coming home with a girlfriend who would eventually break my heart. I don't remember a single thing that was shared there. So if you got eyes for a boy or a girl this week, it's a complete distraction against anything God would want to teach you. Just cut it off. There's no need for that, okay? Right. But the fact remains, I came home with a girlfriend. Now, me and this young lady... We're both in seventh grade at the time, and we just so happened to have fifth period science class together. And I hadn't seen her all day, so I am thrilled to go to science that day. And I remember going to science class, and she sat like two rows forward and three people to the right, and it was kind of awkward, you know, like, what do you do at seventh grade? Like, there's no cell phones, and so I'm just sitting there like, do I say hi? Like, what do I do? Last time I heard, we were like a thing, but now we're learning about how to dissect frogs. Like, what's going on? when I see her writing a note so she writes out this note and the note goes three over, two back and my heart is just like open the note like what could she be saying and I open the note and it says meet me at the flagpole after school What? The praises go up, the blessings come down. I'm going to church camp every year now. Like This is amazing, you know? And so I, 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 uh, I finish out my day at school. And I got to that flagpole as fast as I could while still looking cool. You know, it was like a, you, know, you don't want to go too fast and seem desperate, but you don't want to walk too slow and seem like you're not engaged. And so I got there clearly before she did. And I'm just kind of waiting, like, what do I say? What do I do? This is crazy. Last time I saw her, we were, like, saying goodbye in the dining hall at camp. And, uh, and I just see out on the horizon that she's walking towards me with a friend. Yeah. And as she gets closer, I see that this isn't just any friend. It's another guy. And so... And so she walks up to me, I say hi, she says, we're not dating anymore, I'm with him. And I walk away holding hands. Now, I cried on the inside. Here's the point of the story, apart from the things I shared earlier, one, total distraction, couldn't tell you what I learned at camp, two, complete waste of time, three, and this is a, a, more, a, more serious, a more serious one. Here's the, the third thing that that taught me about myself. I have gone through most of my life until the age I am today assuming that God has done that with me. And so what, what happens is, like I would go to camp and I would have this incredible experience and I would go home and my Bible would get dusty. And then I would go to camp, and I would have this, like, mountaintop high. And then when it came time to plug in at youth group, basketball was more important to me. I would go to camp. I would have these epic, deep, deep conversations with my counselors. I would come home, and I would fall back into, like, the party scene or just being completely distracted. God had no place in my life. And so what I had assumed at a young age... And this belief is something that I carried with me into young adulthood. What I had assumed was that because I was only meeting God at camp, that he didn't want to go with me home. And then life gets difficult. Life gets hard. The statistics show that 78% of you are dealing with depression and anxiety at higher rates than generations before you have. Like, I remember at 10 years old, at 2 in the morning, the police knocking on my door to tell me that my brother had passed away in a car accident, hard. I remember being a little kid, and, and one day mom and dad were both home at dinner, and the next day they weren't, and things were never the same. I remember in high school, friendships falling apart. I remember having to call my dad to tell him that his brother had died, like life was difficult. And had I just remembered through each of those trials, each of those difficult things, and every single person in this room is going to go through some type of version of that, I wish I had known that God was with me through it all. What I lacked was faithfulness. What I lacked was faith to see that God had always been there. That it was me who had turned my back. That it was me who had wandered. That it was me who had taken that trial as an opportunity to be selfish and not an opportunity to press into the promise of God that he's with you always and forever to the very end of the age. The point of this passage, at least that I'm trying to describe for you tonight, is that it doesn't matter what kind of trial you're going to face in life, you will face trials. And two, God promises to be with you through all of them. Life will be difficult. Life will be hard at times. But character is formed through you choosing to remain faithful to a God who's been nothing but faithful to you from the beginning of time. Nebuchadnezzar says it perfectly in verse 25. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Do you know why that description is picked up in King Nebuchadnezzar's observation of what was happening in the fiery furnace? Because God promises to be with us always. It's not a question of, is God with me? It's a question of, am I taking note that God is with me? Am I trusting that God is with me? Am I choosing to live faithful in spite of my unfaithfulness? Am I choosing to remember that God has only been faithful to me, always and forever? One of the names given to Jesus in the beginning of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 26, look at this name, and it's actually a part of a Christmas carol that we sing. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Hmm. One of, my, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite Christmas carols... One of my favorite Christmas carols goes like this. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Have you sung that one before during the holidays? Here's where that comes from. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The, the coming of a Savior... The promise of Jesus wasn't just the promise of salvation. It was the promise of the presence of God. What was lost in the garden like we talked about last night. And we'll talk more about as this week goes on. The relational communion that humans were able to have with God in the garden. That was lost in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. Is restored through the person of Jesus. And one of the benefits... Sometimes we focus so much on salvation and it's a beautiful thing, but that salvation starts here on earth. God's not waiting for you to die so he can usher you into the pearly gates. God's waiting for you to experience his kingdom here, now, today. The question is, are you living faithful? The question is, are you observing that? The question is, do you believe that? Friend, you are not alone. And every opportunity that life gives you To look at something you're not supposed to. To spend time with people who you know are a bad influence. To go to that party and do things that you know your parents would just be heartbroken by. You know for a fact God's word says not to do. Each of the times we say yes to those things, in our minds, the place of God begins to shrink. Anytime you go through something difficult, pain has this incredible way of making us feel selfish. Selfish. Like when we go through hard things, it's really easy for the entire focus during a painful season to be put on me. You know what breaks that? What breaks that is remembering that God is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Even in John 16, 33, we talked about this last night. I'll bring it up throughout the rest of the week. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. All throughout the scriptures were promised the presence of a Savior who desperately, deeply desires to walk through this life with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not the hero of this story. Their faithfulness allowed them to see the true hero, which is God. God. In that verse I read earlier, you remember what they said. Our God can totally save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do what we know is wrong. Faithfulness to God isn't about the benefit. Faithfulness to God is about reminding ourselves that he's in control and I'm not. You're going to face trials. Life is going to be difficult at times. I highly doubt It's not outside of the realm of possibility, but I highly doubt anyone in this room is going to be thrown into a fiery furnace for not worshiping a statue. So what's the small version of that? The small version of that is life throws you a storm and you choose to run and hide as opposed to focus on the presence of God. There's this like classic passage in the New Testament. Classic passage. I'll read this as I close. In Mark chapter 4 we see the disciples have a moment, not unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it tells us that on that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. When Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion... The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Just think for a second about the difference between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response in the fiery furnace. They resolved to be faithful no matter what. And the disciples in the boat getting scared when the Lord Jesus himself was there. I think at times, for me, I'm much more that person that goes, God, do you even care? God, can you even see what's happening? God, the boat's taking on water and you're sleeping? Come on. I desire to be someone as I grow in my faith who's more like those men we saw thrown into a furnace, whose resolve is to be faithful to God regardless of the outcome because God has proven to be nothing but faithful time and time again. The point is this. You're going to face trials. Those trials have the ability to draw you closer to God or for you to turn your back and to move further away from God. My hope and prayer for you is that as you face the difficult things in this life, that you would choose to remain faithful regardless and no matter what. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these students. Jesus, I pray that as we uh, just unpack a ton of verses tonight, that your spirit would be doing what it was promised to do. And that's to help us to discern and to learn more about you. God, I pray for those students in this room tonight who who are walking with you, who are desiring to be faithful. I pray that you would give them faith and, and resolve and resiliency to be faithful no matter what. I pray for those students who are far from you, who don't yet have you in their lives. That these epic historical stories from your word would remind them that there is hope out there. That there is somebody who can take away that loneliness. That there is someone who can give you strength when you feel weak. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the the hope and the love that you offer to all of us freely. God, we most of all want to thank you for promising to be with us always, no matter what. Help us to be mindful of your presence, even and especially when life gets hard. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.